This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 99 with guest Sark. All links and resources you hear in this podcast can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 99. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, ass kickers. Welcome back to another episode of the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast. And as I was sitting here about to hit record to do this intro for our guest, I'm like, what am I going to say about Sark in my own words? And I am stumped because... She just, if you've never heard of her and this is your first time being introduced to her, you're definitely in for a treat. Sark is just like that big sister that you always wish that you had. And she just is amazing. She is the epitome of, I don't know, of just realness and love and rainbows. I mean, that's like what her name is. And <laughs> I'll get to that in a second. But she's just rad. She's so rad. And there are some guests that I just absolutely fall in love with when I get the privilege of having a conversation with them. And Sark is no exception. So I'm very excited for you to listen to this coming up in a second. And I do want to tell you some very important business, ass kicker, something very, very important is coming up. And that is the seven day courage challenge. Yay. Applause. Because I originally was going to not host the seven day courage challenge until January of 2017, but I have changed my mind. I'm the boss lady, so I can do that. So I did. And we are going to start again in June. You may have heard me talk about it before. You may have even been through it before. And I always say it's good to go through it more than once because you will learn new things the more you go through it. So what is the seven day courage challenge? It is seven days of coming together to learn about things like how to manage your inner critic, about gaining tools on how to feel enough. And such a big part of the seven day challenge is Women coming together to share their stories courageously and hold space for each other. So if you're already like, sign me up, it's at yourkickasslife.com forward slash seven day challenge. That's all one word, yourkickasslife.com forward slash seven day challenge. If you're on the show notes right now for this episode, you can scroll down to the bottom and it's easy peasy click right there and it'll take you. Again, it's totally free. We start on June 1st and every day you will be sent an email and in that email is a short little blurb from me and then a worksheet that I have made for you. Each worksheet for each day is just one page. It should take you around. People are always like, like, how, how long do I need to commit to this? How much time? About 10 to 15 minutes per worksheet. So most of the people that sign up for the seven day challenge come to the Facebook group that is specifically for this challenge. And that's where you can spend more time. You can spend time reading other people's posts. You can spend time commenting. You can post yourself. I encourage you to do that. And that's where so, I mean, the women have told me like that's their favorite part. Like obviously your own transformation is huge, but that's where friendships happen and just this whole thing around common humanity to know that you're not the only one that feels that way. So if you are a woman who has struggled with negative self-talk, you know, beating yourself up over things that you've done in the past or things that you do every day, 
always feeling like you're falling short, that you just can't measure up, whether they're the expectations that you put on yourself or the expectations that others have put on you, then you need to come and join us. (laughs) I've had women tell me like that they were kind of skeptical and they said, I had no idea my life could change in seven days. And I'm honored to be able to facilitate something like that. And again, yourkickasslife.com forward slash seven day challenge. And I want to just read real quick to you just a couple of the things that past challengers have said. So Lexi said, I feel lucky to be part of such a raw, open, honest discussion among women just like me. Typically, we use Facebook to paint a perfect image of our perfect lives. But here we are balls out, rather boobs out, LOL, with honesty and real emotions. I feel a little less alone today. Thanks, ladies. And Dana said, I always feel like I'm alone in how I'm feeling and that I'm the only one who has a past, even though I know that's not true. All of the posts in here are a reminder of that. And it's freaking awesome. It's great to feel a part of something with people who truly understand. And this round, I'm going to do things a little bit differently than I have before. This will be, I think, the fourth time I've run the seven day challenge. And each time I learn something on how to make it better for everybody. And this time I'm going to host live chats in the Facebook group from the beginning. So I did that at the very end last time and it was a hit. So we're going to do that from the beginning. I'm still going to do my recap videos that I do every day in those. That's where I answer people's questions and kind of if I see a pattern emerging of people posting things, I will address that as well and just kind of give you like a pep talk and more inspiration to keep going through the seven days. So I would love to see you there. Yourkickasslife.com forward slash seven day challenge. There is also a contest running. So if you sign up, you will be directed to a thank you page that will tell you exactly how to enter the contest to win fabulous prizes. So very excited about that starting on June 1st. Get your booty signed up for that. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about SARC. SARC, which stands for Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy, is the co-author with the late Dr. John Waddell of Succulent Wild Love. She comes from a background of creative expression and uplifting others through the teachings of her best-selling books, products, and programs that support empowered living. SARC's purpose is to be an uplifter, a transformer, and a laser beam of love. She does that through her art, words, and spirit, which have been celebrated by leading thought leaders like Wayne Dyer, Maya Angelou, Marianne Williamson, and more. So without further ado, here is Sark. Oh, thank you so much, Andrea. I'm so glad to be here. I was joking with her before we started recording, you guys, that I've been watching Sark since 2010, and I told her I was peeking in her living room window, which isn't totally true. <laughs> but it's funny how much you can follow someone online, and I've just enjoyed your work so much and was just honored that you said yes to come and, and talk to my people. And we are going to talk about some, of course, amazing things. And I'm just very, very happy to have you. Well, let's let everyone know that if you'd peeked in my window five minutes ago, you would have seen me wildly dancing to Pharrell Williams happy. I don't, I totally believe that. (laughs) (laughs) And I noticed my neighbors across the way who can see in my window were waving and smiling. Oh, they probably, that's like no big deal. They're Sark again, dancing in our living room. (laughs) Possibly naked. Who knows? (laughs) Well, I love, okay, so... 
five five years ago already, you wrote the book Glad No Matter What. And in the very beginning of the book, this was like my favorite part. You know, you read that title and you're like, oh, super. But you wrote, and I'm quoting you, you said, this isn't a book about feeling glad when you don't. How annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and you go on to talk about feeling and navigating multiple feelings all at once. So can you say more about that? Oh, absolutely. And thank you for calling that out. You know, it was brave. The book was originally called Add More Often, mm-hmm. and which is really kind of possibly more, quote, accurate. But I realized the real title is Glad No Matter What, because that is our opportunity. And it's our opportunity, not in this, I always say, mindlessly positive people annoy me, you know, too. <laughs> it's like people assume that, that I'm like that. They're like, oh, she uses bright colors. She's always smiling. How annoying, yeah. you know? I don't want to be with someone who isn't an integrated person with rage and disgust and horror and all the other emotions that come to us. So what I discovered in my life was I had all these feelings, right? And I was raised in a family where, and many of us were, where one feeling was allowed at a time and I had to go to my room to have it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I better come out and feel better feel even happy. if I didn't, you know? And so this whole idea of multiple feelings, most of us have not been taught how to have or hold multiple feelings. And most of us have not been taught how to care for our feelings skillfully and lovingly and consistently. Feelings care. So I created a system called inner feelings care, which I talk about in the book and use in my life every day is a way in which you honor and acknowledge your feelings. And quite quickly, I have a five second method and I have a five minute method tend to them so that you don't have to bring them into the rest of your life and try to hand them to your partner to deal with or (laughs) other people to deal with. And so it's remarkably effective and it allows you to have all your feelings and live in what I call the marvelous messy middle where you have all your feelings, but you don't need to dwell so long in the negative ones. Marvelous, messy feelings. I love Marvelous, messy middle. Yes. Marvelous, messy middle. Yeah. Because, you know, we feel horrible and then we feel glad and there's a whole span of things in the middle where we feel you know, euphoric about one thing and mad about another thing and worried about something Mm -hmm. and then excited about another thing. And that's the marvelous, messy middle where I'm inviting everyone to live. I love that. Well, and there is, there's such a spectrum of feelings. And I had a, a similar experience growing up that you did. And I know a lot of my listeners did as well, where we were just, I mean, anything from made to feel wrong for your feelings. And yes. we even do that as adults. I mean, which we want to make people feel better when they're feeling the hard feelings. And we say like, oh, don't be scared or you shouldn't be embarrassed or don't feel mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've said that too, so many times I'm guilty of that as well. And What's interesting, too, is I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and she was going through some parenting stuff. And she was, you know, like you were saying, like that whole this the gamut, you know, she's feeling guilty and worried and very angry. It's actually a grown child. He's in his early 20s. And I asked her and I said, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here and ask you, do you feel a little bit resentful? And it's okay, like as a parent to feel resentful towards your kids I wouldn't encourage you to tell them that but like your feelings are safe with me. And she was so grateful that oh, I could yes. hold the space for her to feel that because I think there's so much shame in certain feelings for yes. parents and for partners and for, yes. for yes. everyone. 
Yes. And for children. Yeah. You know, because they resent their parents. And, totally. and just like you said, their parents resent them. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say you need to throw that in their face. Like, that's no, not especially healthy. Especially with yeah. My mother actually did a really good job with that. She would say, I am very upset with your behavior. Mm-hmm. And she'd say, I love you. And your behavior is very upsetting to me. Yeah. Separate and it. That really helped. Absolutely. That's one thing that I'm trying to be very clear with my children about is separating the behavior from the person. And, but yeah, and that's another thing as a parent, I'm trying to raise my children differently than I was raised is to make sure that their feelings are okay. They're allowed to feel whatever they feel. And as a parent, that is very difficult to not want to jump in and fix it for them. Oh, yes. And let's remember feelings don't have heads, you know, and what I mean by that is a feeling can only feel. So Mm -hmm. a sad feeling can only be sad. And the mistake we make is trying to take that away. Like, oh, sad, don't feel sad. And sadness is there like, okay, now no one's listening to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if anyone listening has not seen the movie Inside Out, go immediately. Can you believe uh, I haven't seen that? I haven't seen it. <gasps> oh, I'm so excited for you. I know. I'm excited too because I have kids too. So it's we're going to do it for family movie night. It's life changing. A girl that was in one of my online classes emailed me and she was like, oh my God. <laughs> You have to see it. That's about what we won in class. And it won. It won the Oscar for Best Animated Picture. And it's such a statement of how feelings are becoming more of our language. And parents are teaching children and children are teaching parents. And people are using inner feelings care systems. So excited about this. That makes my day. That we are alive in a generation where it's becoming more okay to talk about. Because in my parents' generation, and I'm sure in yours, like, no, you didn't know. Emotionally illiterate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was raised in the Midwest, which is also called the state of denial. (laughs) And and (laughs) where I came home one time, my best friend, I visited my best friend. It was probably about 10. And I said to her mom, my best friend's mom, how are you? And she said, I'm fine. And I said, well, you don't seem fine. And she said, well, I am. And then I came home later and I told my mom and she said, well, she's not fine, but we don't talk about it. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. My poor parents. Someone told me recently, they're like, Andrea, you're that girl that if the emperor walked in, you would be like, emperor got no clothes on. Like, (laughs) I call out elephants all the time. Oh, and I know it serves your work and the people that you serve. Thank you. I am just ecstatic that we are now that it's becoming mainstream and that we're talking and not that it's really easy, you guys. Like, I don't want people listening to be like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's still difficult to, in my opinion, it's still difficult sometimes to navigate feelings and every day. Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah. And not all the time and not at the same levels of difficulty. But yes, mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's vulnerable. It's, you know, scary. I mean, it's all those things. And it's necessary. And it's necessary. necessary and mm-hmm. let's just say the more you do it, the easier it does become. I'm waiting for that, Sark. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put it to a contrast. Let's ask you if you're feeling more feelings and doing it better, you know, more easily since when you were a child. Completely and totally. But here's the thing. I got sober in 2011 and that's like when it really started for me. Oh, yeah. So... And I wouldn't necessarily say it's easier, but here's the difference is that I see them happening faster. Yes. Before I would suppress them and numb them and wondered why I felt like, 
Yes. And then now yes. I see them coming like a freight train and I'm like, oh God, here they come. Well, it's, yes. It's almost as like a weatherman. It's like, okay, storm's coming. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and thank you for naming that because that is the point. You get through them faster. You exactly. still have to feel them all, mm -hmm. but you don't, you know, it's a neighborhood that you travel through instead of a place where you build a house. I love that. Yes. It becomes more familiar and it's less scary. So for me, I always made up that, okay, if I feel these feelings like grief or rage or terror or worry, not so much worry, but like the really scary ones for me, I always sort of worried that I wouldn't be okay on the other side. It's like, can I eventually shut the door? Will Pandora's yes. box ever close? Yes. That was my worry. Well, and it's a valid worry. And I also want to say to everyone, most people are afraid that if they really feel their feelings, that people say all the time to me, I'm just afraid if I start crying, I'll never I'll stop. Never stop. Mm -hmm. And if I'm just afraid, if I really say how angry I am, I'll blow up the world, mm -hmm. you know, but the truth is feelings want our love and attention. This is the part everyone needs to know. They don't need that much. Mm-hmm. And I agree a, with. a little bit of focused attention goes so far with feelings. And so let's just say right now what the five second method is. If you're driving along in your car, you've got kids in your car, you're headed somewhere, you suddenly have a feeling of terrible sadness or anger, whatever it is, you name that feeling, you can do it under your breath, you can glance to the right or left and say, sadness, I see you, I hear you, I acknowledge you. And you can say it once, twice, three times. If you picture that feelings have little shoulders, you'll see the little shoulders of sadness go down. They can soften and change shape in that way. Because basically, feelings have no choice but to get louder and larger when we pay no attention to them. And often we're mm -hmm. saying, I don't have time to feel that now. So feelings go, okay, well, I have time. And right. I, have I got all I have time in the world. Time. I have nothing but time. And so you're going to hear sadness on every radio station. You're going to see it in everything that you look out the window at. Your children are going to demonstrate it. You're going to hear podcasts and, like this. Yeah. And by the end of the day, you're going to feel like mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm here to tell you doing that simple feelings care five second method will circumvent, you know, 70% of what goes on. I love that. If I wasn't already married, Sark, I would ask you to marry me. <laughs> we've known each other well, and if I hadn't married myself, <laughs> I, I would marry you. But then I would be a bigamist. <laughs> but a happy one. <laughs> but a happy one. Oh, gosh. All right. So you also talk about changing how we respond to what happens to us. And I would say a lot of my listeners struggle with either numbing out what they don't want to feel and or trying to control what they feel. So do you have anything to say about those two things? Oh my God, yes. I mean, I spent decades trying to control. I had a therapist once that said, you're trying to carpet the world so that you can walk barefoot. <laughs> it was horrifying, you know. I had a therapist that called me a control freak. I oh. wanted to punch her in the face. Well, yeah, and then you right. could Yeah, and my classic answer when I was told that was, I'm not controlling. Mm -hmm. You're wrong. <laughs> or, I'm not defensive in a defensive tone, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so and then the other one is responding rather than reacting. I mean, when you think of the word reacting, reacting. So you're basically acting out what has come your way in another form. Mm. So if someone attacks you and then you feel like attacking back, which is common, you know, come on, we all feel if someone gets angry, then I'm angry. You know, <laughs> what do you mean you're angry? Yeah. I'm angry. When you can respond, when you can say, wow, I'm really shocked by that. Let me just be with that for a minute. I don't know what to say. 
Yeah, and I you love that. say phrases like that, mm-hmm. like "Give me a minute." I'm not sure. I don't know. You know, many of us who have challenges with control think that we know everything, have an answer for everything, and have an answer, or better have an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, and better figure it out quick before something comes to get us. And it's like, oh, no, you know, you can actually sit there and say, wow, I'm shocked. You know, someone says, I'm really angry with you. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. It's hard to hear, but tell me more. Mm -hmm. And you can actually receive and respond what is coming your direction instead of, you know, reacting out of fear and just that knee jerk feeling like, oh, no, you know, what have I done? What have they done? How can I fix it? How yeah. can I look how better I, in this how moment? How can I get away from it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, that sounds like curiosity too. I think so many exactly. problems can be solved by just getting curious about it. Yes, well said. And one of my great mentors handed me this wonderfully framed, when I told her my partner was sick and I was really scared, she handed me this big framed piece of art and written in the center in calligraphy was a single word, curiosity. Oh, I love it. And I've been living that word, you know, in a major way. So thank you for bringing that out. Yeah. And for all of you listening, if you want more from Sark, we're going to get into, you know, where to find her and everything. But all of the links back to anything that we're talking about is at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 99. And you also say that whatever is happening, we have the opportunity to practice centering ourselves. What does this mean? And how do we do it? Coming from a person who I am someone who really struggles with like meditation and yoga and all of those things. So please give us your wisdom. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Because I know many people feel similarly, and some are too shy to say it, you know, some in terms of yoga or meditation. But again, I offer my therapist saying to me one time, meditation is basically sitting with your anxiety. And then he said, after all, who else is going to? You know, a lot of smart people. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I I insist. I insist on surrounding myself with the most vibrationally high, wise souls as often as possible. So yes, centering oneself, it's kind of what we already talked about. And let's talk just a little more about it, which is, you know, going in, letting yourself sit down. And it doesn't mean physically sit down. But let yourself drop down when something comes your way that either scares you, alarms you, you don't understand. Give yourself those few breaths of just, okay, so you're upset that I didn't do, you know, dot, dot, dot. Or allow yourself to repeat back what has been said to you. Mm -hmm. This will allow you to feel some sense of centeredness, because usually when we're reacting, we're slanting off, we're not in our center, we're either attacking, we're withdrawing, we're, we're doing some movement that's away from center. And so to give yourself permission to sit down in your center, we all have that. Mm hmm. I think I love that. And I think that what came up for me when you were saying that, and I wonder if this is a common theme for a lot of people like myself that struggle with that is that because it is no secret, my biggest struggle is control. Like that's the one behavior that I still have knocked down, you know, street fights with. So (laughs) I think that that's what it is. It's really, truly surrendering and letting go. And like you said, giving yourself permission to sit with it all and not 
And maybe it's sort of like to be unattached to the outcome because I, I always feel like I'm doing it wrong. Exactly. Exactly. And those all usually come together. And you're young, right? Aren't you in your 30s? 40. 40. Mm-hmm. Still young. So that's, you know, most people don't necessarily get as far as you've gotten at this stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we have controlling as one of our dynamics, it's common that people just take control all the way through their life. You know, that's their default. And that's how they operate. And your awareness is so high, which is about 80% of everything, by mm-hmm. the way. I agree with that. Do you yeah, hear that, people? 80% <laughs> is awareness. <laughs> yeah. That's your the willingness, win. Yeah. And your willingness to have knockdown, drag out street fights mm-hmm. and your transparency and talking about it and your practice, I know, is to explore and learn how to do it differently And I'm here to tell you that I, in the last, I would say, three to four years, have released 90% of my control issues. Hmm. And if you had told me that that was even possible, I would have told you you were insane. What do you attribute? Did something shift in those years or what was it? Yes. Yes. Three and a half years ago, I met my beloved partner, John. Mm -hmm. And he came into my life like uh, just wow. I mean, we knew in a day that we would get married and he moved in a month later from across the country. Wow. And I'd never lived with a partner. And we got engaged about a year after that and we were together three and a half years. And he immediately did not see me as controlling. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? And I, <laughs> and I thought, well, it's only a matter of time. You know, we're in the classic honeymoon phase, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that I was dealing with a master teacher. He, he was a psychologist and metaphysical teacher, and I didn't know who I was dealing with at all. I mean, he brought three principles into my life, the first of which he said, I promise to see you as perfect, and any way that I don't is my responsibility. Now, mm. this sounded great to me until I realized <laughs> that he would expect me to see him as perfect. <laughs> as being a controlling person, I had been the consummate list maker. I mean, basically, whoever I was with, I would have at least four, five, six main list items that they should change. <laughs> and probably like 60 of, you know, smaller things that they really needed to work on. Need to work on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm telling you, never had a list item on this guy. Hmm. And he, I mean, and then I would periodically question him, like, why don't you see me as controlling? And then I started realizing, well, if he doesn't see it, maybe I'm not demonstrating it. And maybe it's time to to stop having an identity of being a controlling person. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I just kept duplicating. I just kept, you know, yep, I'm controlling. That's who I am. Yep. Here's another one. Yep. I'm controlling again. You know, and I'd, I'd have examples and I'd have evidence So here I was living with someone who didn't see me as controlling. I felt no need to control. And there was nothing to control. And I started realizing, well, if I can do this with him, I can do this other places. And so I began to practice like, wow, I'm now a person that's that's not controlling in the majority. I mean, I'm still, I will say that is still my stress response. If I get stressed, I go towards control. Mm-hmm. I do because I get scared, you know, and that's what that's where control comes from, of course. 
Yes, absolutely. It's the fear of the unknown. And yeah, that's fascinating. And you know, I was it, it made me think of I was listening to another podcast recently about it was like a money podcast. And the woman was saying, for her, she had always talked about herself and said, I'm just not a saver. I'm a spender. I'm just have never been that way. And that's how she would talk about herself. And so she said, I just decided one day to stop saying that. And started, you know, talking about myself and just claiming that she was a saver. And she said it really changed everything for her. I almost hear a little bit of that in what the story that you just shared. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was it was really a new way. I never considered that I could describe myself or experience myself as someone who didn't tend toward control. Hmm. And once I started living that way, I was like, oh, my God, this is so much more fun and so much more relaxed. And then people started reflecting to me, oh, you're so relaxed. You look so much younger. Oh, you seem so happy. Oh, it just feels like you go with the flow. And I'm like, who are they talking about? <laughs> you're like looking over your shoulder. <laughs> yeah. So I had the most fabulous mentor in John. Mm. My next question that I'm going to ask you that's on my list is how can we support others with their losses and grief? And I know that today, as we're recording, this is the first day that you are back at work because he is no longer with us. So did you want to share that with the listeners? And, and maybe my question is, what was the biggest lesson that you learned in this whole journey? Oh, Yes. Yes, John died a couple of weeks ago. So it's very fresh. I had the privilege of I had the privilege opportunity and I will say nightmare of taking care of him for 9 months as he journeyed through stage 4 cancer. We turned in our book, co-authored a book. I'd never co-authored a book. It's called Succulent Wild Love: Six Powerful Habits for Feeling More Love More Often. And it's a whole new philosophy of love and relationships for everyone, including soulfully single people. We finished that book on the 5th of July. And on the 6th of July, he was in the hospital hearing that he had stage four colon cancer that was inoperable. And it was my worst fear. It was literally my worst fear because here was the person I was going to marry. We were, in fact, we were supposed to be getting married. Mm -hmm. And suddenly now we're dealing with this. And I want to... I want to share just a little bit about his philosophy. I mentioned that he was a metaphysical teacher. So I want to be, I really want to emphasize this is his belief system and his path. And he was never anyone that wanted other people to do anything other than their path. So anyone listening, please understand that this was his particular philosophy. Um, he believed that he developed the cancer for very emotional reasons and traumas that had not been explored. So it wasn't so much that he created cancer, but that he developed the conditions for cancer to be in his body. So he did all sorts of deep trauma work over those nine months and worked with a tremendous healer. And he also did every Western medicine. He did every alternative thing and every Western medicine thing. He never fought cancer. He didn't believe in battles. He believed that cancer came as a wise guide and a teacher. So we both lived that way. And I also began changing my life in response to what we call the power of his diagnosis. Because when you're diagnosed with something life threatening like that, I mean, they predicted he would live two to three months. And he did live nine months. And he actually really thought that he'd clear it entirely. And he did make some good progress on it. But he ultimately was not able to clear that cancer. He died the most beautiful death. He died the death that I dream of having. 
and he died in my arms and he died surrounding my love and he left on the highest love vibration. And for those people who believe in such things, he's extremely active in the non-physical, which has been beyond, it's way more than a comfort to me. It's an inspiration to me. And when I asked him what his advice was for me going on without him, he said, oh, Susan, he said, I want you to get as happy as you can possibly be. I want you to scoop up the happiness. I want you to find it. I want you to magnetize it. He said, and if you find someone else to love, you go totally in there. You love them. You do everything. He said, that's what you can do. That's how you go on. And so I feel like being happy is part of his legacy. And our book is part of his work and legacy. It's a profoundly powerful book. And it's going around the world and changing how people experience love. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, we talked before we started recording and and we weren't really sure if it was going to come up or not. And I just really appreciate you sharing that. And I understand that it's very raw for you. And I'm sure so many people listening have either had a similar experience or will face a similar experience. And again, the show notes, everybody are at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 99. There's a link to Sark and John's book that they co-authored and she has a free gift for you as well that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But I think that I make up that, you know, I have another colleague that passed away recently and part of her wishes, because I know a lot of people say, don't grieve my loss when I'm gone. And and I I don't want anyone to cry at my funeral. And this particular person had a different view on that. And she was very adamant and said, like, you feel whatever you need to feel Mm -hmm. when I pass. And I make up that John probably had a similar wish for everyone. Was it? Oh, yes. And he loved my feelings. I mean, he said the velocity and extent of my feelings were one of his greatest teachers. He was more mental Mm -hmm. and he really learned feeling a lot about feelings from me. And, you know, I'm grieving deeply and Mm -hmm. nobody's going to stop me. I mean, (laughs) you know, and I understand that sentiment. I mean, I think, you know, we're having a celebration of John's life in April and, you know, there's going to be tears there too. But I think, again, it's the marvelous messy middle. I mean, I feel ecstatic that he's free of that body, which was in so much pain You know, I feel relieved that I'm no longer a 24-hour caregiver, which was exhausting. Mm -hmm. I'm sad, you know, unbearably sad, heartbroken, just beyond sad to have lost this, you know, physical person. You know, like, how could this person just be gone? And so I'm, you know, literally rewiring my brain. And I'm doing a lot of research now on grief and, and the brain and how it works and really learning. So I'm aware that this will all be, I'm shape-shifting by the minute and so happy to be back teaching and mentoring and living. I mean, teaching with John was one of the biggest gifts of my life and so glad that videos exist and our book exists so that his teaching can go on, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, now I can't remember your question. (laughs) (laughs) No, you answered it. And it was interesting. I had a few episodes ago, episode 95, Martha Jo Adkins was on talking about grief and death and loss. And so that's at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 95. If anyone, this is touching anyone and they're interested in, in hearing more about that. And I, I think my question now is having been through this experience, I think a lot of people listening know someone who has either been through the experience that they can circle back with or someone's going through it now 
what has been the best thing for your friends and family to do for you and the things to say to you during this painful time in your life? Oh, yeah. And I'm here to say that I'm writing my head off. I mean, I've kept a journal throughout this entire experience. And I have so much to say about this, you know, and I've written about some of it and glad no matter what I have, I think I have several pages on what to say and not to say Mm -hmm. to a grieving person. Probably my biggest statement is what to say is not nothing. Yeah. And I, I separate that word into no thing. You know, because you don't know what to say doesn't mean to not say anything. Mm-hmm. That's the part that people don't understand. I wish people knew how just their voice is a healing agent. It doesn't matter, just the sound of their voice. If they said, I'm going to buy oranges today, that is a healing element right there. Mm-hmm. And this is the part where we don't realize how much our spirits matter and how much our molecules affect other molecules. Hmm. And then I would say, you know, most people know this now, but let's just restate it here. A better way, instead of saying, let me know if there's anything I can do, which people really are so well-meaning. I mean, they think that that is good. And it is good, of course, to want to offer something, but far better to be specific. So what I mean by that is to say to someone, Let me know if it's helpful for me to come over and just sit with you. Let me know if I can weed your garden. Let me know if I can bring over corn tortillas. Let me know if sounds good to go for a walk in the park. Let me know if I can take you to a movie. I mean, this is the kind of thing. Your kids. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let me know if I can come and do playtime art shop with your kids, Mm -hmm. you know, for two hours on Thursday. Yes. These are the specifics because, you know, it is like getting hit by a tsunami, really a tsunami. I mean, you can't understand the velocity and height of the wave when you haven't. And and by the way, some people haven't experienced this kind of deep loss. Either their parents haven't died or someone close to them hasn't died. And they really don't know how knocked down a person can be. And just please know that any gesture like someone left a little tiny plant on my doorstep the other day with a tiny note. I mean, it was so impactful. I'm still feeling the impact mm. of that tiny plant with that tiny note. Please know that any gesture is so appreciated. Like take a gesture. It's like a bouillon cube. You put it in water and it makes soup for hundreds. Mm-hmm. That's what your gesture does. I love that you answered that so specifically. Thank you for that. And I, I think, you know, to take it a step further, what you said in the very beginning about how people say nothing. And I think that what happens, and this was my experience, is that when I know someone that is experiencing something like what you're experiencing, it gets up all in my stuff. It is so incredibly vulnerable. You are vulnerable and then it makes me vulnerable. And I don't know how to be with that. And so I'm just not going to call you. Like that's how I used to be. And I remember one of my friend's father passed away and we were not living in the same state anymore. And we didn't talk all that often anymore. We were good friends before. And it was really uncomfortable for me to pick up the phone and call her. And I did. And she said, you would be really surprised how many people aren't calling me. She's like, even my close friends, like, yep. I kind of get it. I mean, I'm not condoning their behavior, but like, I kind of understand why. And I love what you said too earlier about sometimes it's good enough to say, I don't know what to say in this moment, but just know that I'm thinking of you. Yes. Yes. And also I want to say that I, like you did that too. There were people I avoided. 
there were people I didn't call. This is common. So mm-hmm. it's not bad. Right. It's not, this is not like, hey, people, if you haven't done this, you're doing it wrong. Right. <laughs> One time when someone that I knew lost her husband, I felt like it was contagious. Mm. I felt like if I talked to her, I would then lose mm-hmm. my husband. I mean, which sounds just insane when you hear yourself say it out loud. But the mind, you know, we're all very self-protective. Yeah, like that kind of stuff doesn't happen over here. You stay over there. Right, you stay over there. I one time was part of some kind of, I went and spoke to women who had just lost their husbands. And I swear to you, they seemed like they were on Mars. You know, like, well, that's never going to be me. I don't like that word widow. Mm-hmm. You know, again, so arrogant, so ridiculous. But it was funny. The other day I had my brother was here helping me after John died. And he stayed with me for a week, which was unbelievably helpful. And we were having a little party. And I said, Oh, God, I don't want to be seen as the grieving widow. It's just gross to me. And he looked at me, he said, "We'll just be a greening window. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And that just opened up the whole thing and I started laughing and all night I felt like the greening window. The greening window. I love that. I love that. And again, thank you so much for sharing that story. And our hearts just go out to you. And there's been this. Okay, so I'm sitting in my office at my desk. There's this giant I live in North Carolina. And the ants out here are no joke. They are like three times the size of the ants that I was used to in California. And there has been one that's been crawling around my desk the entire time we've been talking. I don't know if it's John. or something and I keep like flicking it because it's kind of scary and it keeps trying to get closer and it, it it just keeps coming back and it like comes over the corner of my desk I'm like oh my god I've put myself on mute several times to like gather myself but I don't want to kill it hey John anyway. oh I love that and John is having so much fun he's doing so many things oh my goodness I mean it's well, really something I have just one more question for you before we wrap it up And I would like to know what surprises you about the work that you do with people? Oh, goodness. What a wonderful question. How probably how far they take it, like how much it impacts people and where they take it and what they do in their own lives with it. And I'm constantly hearing about this. I was just on BART coming back from the airport and met a young woman. We were both on BART. And then there was another woman there. The one woman I had been sort of traveling with asked me what I did. And I was trying to describe Sark books. And I said, well, they're unusual, they're eccentric. And the other woman said, are you talking about Sark? (laughs) And I said, well, yes, I am. She goes, wait a minute, you're Sark. (laughs) And then she said, I am a succulent wild woman. And I've been reading your books since 1990. And she just went off, you know, on all the ways that she integrated Sark into her life. And in that sense, you know, I knew, I kind of knew when I started, but it's like, we're all Sark. It's like the Sark spirit of people wanting connection and adventure and eccentricity and self-love and, you know, joy personified. And, you know, it's like, in that sense, that has surprised me. Although, you know, I would also say not totally, because when I was 10 years old, and I told my mother, I was supposed to be a beacon of hope and write books for the world. (laughs) And she told me to eat my peanut butter sandwich. (laughs) And go um, to your room when you have better yeah, feelings. Yeah, yeah, go to, yeah. I just was surprised it took so long. Like, you know, I didn't publish till I was 35. Mm-hmm. And so from 10 to 35 was a lot of 
adventurous living, a lot of self-destructive living, a lot of procrastination, a lot of perfectionism. So for anyone listening, it's never too late. You're not too old. It's just nothing. None of your dreams will leave you. Mm. And so I just, we're the ones that leave our dreams. Our dreams don't leave us. Thank you so much, Sark. I just adore you. Thank you so much for being here. And what is the ant doing now? I've been, it's, I flicked it. Sorry, ant. And it went behind the desk. So, and then when it goes behind the desk, I don't know where it could come up anywhere because my desk isn't pressed up against the wall. So there's many spaces it could, I'm watching out for. I'm going to take a picture and send it to you. <laughs> oh, Andrea, what a joy. Again, all the show notes, everybody, are at yourkickasslife.com. Oh, Andrea, we just promised to tell them about that gift. Yes, forward slash 99. And the free gift is at, why don't you tell them so I don't mess oh, it up? It's a seven day accelerator to feel more love. And it's Ooh. short videos by me. It's absolutely exquisite and so much fun and so free and planetsark.com or at your show notes, it'll say planetsark.com forward slash more love now. More love now. Yes. And Sark's books will be there in the show notes and yeah, go over there, get the free gift planetsark.com forward slash more love now. Correct. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for being here again. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time for episode 100. And until then, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 